Hi y'all, it's me, Layla Mondal, and welcome back to It's Not Rocket Science. This week's episode will be about racism in North America, performative activism or slacktivism, and many other things related to these issues, with guest speakers Keisha Bandaraj and Noor Saeed. Before we get into today's episode, I just want to let y'all know that there is now an official Instagram page for this podcast at It's Not Rocket Science Podcast, where there will be weekly updates and where you can contact me about the show and as well as DM me questions and concerns. There will also be resources like petitions and charities and donation centers that will be listed on the Instagram page for today's topic. Without further ado, let's get into the episode. Three, two, one. So, hi guys. Uh, This is Keisha. So, hi, say hi, Keisha. Hi. And this is my friend Noor. Hi. Uh, Noor will be on the phone, so if the audio is a little bit choppy, that's why. But today's episode, as we, as I said before, we'll be talking about kind of slacktivism, uh, police brutality, and any type of race-related issues that's been going on um, as of recently, and just kind of unpacking what's been happening. Okay, so speaking on, you know, the skin color of people, what I want to ask is about the whole All Lives Matter movement versus Black Lives Matter movement. And, oh, yes. And, like, like... Just, I kind of want to pick that whole thing apart. So I just want to get your opinions on All Lives Matter. Keisha, you want to start? I view All Lives Matter as a protest to a protest. And that protest that they're protesting against is Black Lives Matter. Because Black Lives Matter was meant to really protest for the people. You know what I'm saying? This is a platform to vocalize, obviously, issues that are going on with the black community, specifically in America, but obviously in Canada as well. Mm-hmm. It's like, I think some people also just take it at Black Lives Matter as just, oh, against police brutality, but that's not quite the case, right? It's just about how black, the black community in America is the targeted minority group. I think All Lives Matter, it doesn't really make any sense. And I'm not saying that all lives don't matter because we're all human, we're all bleed blood, we're all equal in that sense. Right, but there is specific groups of minorities that face more discrimination than others. Mm-hmm. Right, so grouping, for example, white people and black people into this protest for equality makes absolutely no sense. Right, because politically and systematically, white people are superior. As as shitty as it sounds, because yeah. it is, but it's true. They just are- on a higher pedestal. pedestal. Yeah. Exactly, right? But with the Black Lives Matter movement, they're not protesting to be superior, right? They're protesting to be equal. So even with people who aren't of who aren't in the black community could support it. Right. Because like this is another minority group that's fighting to be equal, mm-hmm. right? And I think that All Lives Matter is just like a way of saying, "Oh, I'm for the people." But, like, not really and not seeming racist. You yeah. know what I'm saying? Okay. Nora, do you have any opinions on that? Yeah. Like, I find... I take a lot of offense to, like, the All Lives Matter movement in general. Sure, sure. And I feel like there's been so many, like, movements, you know, in quotation marks, that have piggybacked off, like, the struggle of black people. Because even for, for Black Lives Matter to be become a thing, it was literally birthed out of pain, out of death, out of so much grief. And that's how this movement was formed. And then you have groups like the Blue Lives Matter or... um like the all lives matter and there's like and you see certain trends and like hashtags that are using the same type of format like hashtag this 
um, this life matters or hashtag this matters. And it's like people are piggyback- piggybacking off of this idea with n- not trying to, not giving it any merit of its own and it's sort of desaturating the, the significance of the Black Lives Matter movement. Like when you see, when you see like every other hashtag is this life matters or this life matters. Not that it doesn't, but it's just, it takes away the pain that brought forth this movement it makes it seem like any other hashtag when it's really not it's more than a hashtag it's an entire way of life for people that have lost like relatives brothers and sisters to police like to police violence and violence in general yeah and so people say so this whole idea of all lives matter you know people use the analogy and it's so it's like this analogy of you know if one house is on fire you're gonna spray all the houses and the obvious answer is no because at this point in time black guys are what is struggling, what have been struggling, what have been, like, literally, what have, what have been, like, victimized and brutalized at every given point since the beginning of American history. And right. so it's not just, uh, it's not just something that matters now, it's something that will matter forever. And this all lives matter, it's just, I take offense to it, I think it's really just an insult. Right. I think so, I totally agree. I definitely feel upset when I hear people demerit the Black Lives Matter movement because it it took so much to even just get this movement, which shouldn't even be a movement in the first place. We shouldn't need yeah. a Black Lives Matter movement. We should just be living. We should but accept it as a fact, you know? Exactly. But the fact that like it it has come to this far that we have to acknowledge and fight for the right for Black Lives Matter to even be a movement seems outrageous and crazy to me. And what I want to know is like, okay, all these so I have the community that I grew up in. It's mainly been white people, like the communities that I um, that I like went to school in. It's most of my peers were white. So I have a lot of white people on the timeline, and I see them posting these photos or these hashtags or these posts um, for the Black Lives Matter movement or for the for George Floyd as recently or Ahmed Aubrey before, but they don't do a slick of any work otherwise. Before we had social media, and before like everything, like before any of us were born during the civil rights movement, to be to be considered an activist, to be considered someone who fought for the who fought for all for all people to live equally and like in harmony, who fought for literally the right to not be killed or stopped by police in the street, you had to be out there. You had to be out in marches, making signs, supporting, putting in the footwork. But now, all it takes to be considered an activist, and not that there's anything wrong with it, it's, it's good that these movements and that the lives of these people are being commemorated by millions and, like, thousands of millions? Millions of thousands? Yeah, mm-hmm. millions of thousands. And it's like, it, it really, it really, like, it doesn't take a lot. It takes maybe two clicks on a phone to be considered an activist, when in reality, people are not invested in the movement. They're not invested in the actual, in actual black lives. They're invested in seeming current, seeming you know up to the times and seeming like they're woke i guess because you know i did post that on my story that one time you know but in reality they're not doing anything further than two clicks or posting up like a pretty picture or whatever i agree on their timeline i think i'm on timeline on their stories after 24 hours it's gone yes i think it could just be viewed as like a bandwagon people are just hopping on the bandwagon because everyone else is like for example the whole thing where it's they like, don't want to feel the guilt exactly but they don't want to do anything further exactly for example like with the hashtag justice for george floyd yeah right people are just posting it and then nothing else after I think and it's the same like for a post it's the same as no one is doing any you can tell that no one is actually going further into this case because it's the same for pictures on everyone's story and it's like 
it's it's you guys it's like it's evident that no one is doing actual research no one is going further into this case and they're not invested in it it's just like the same four posts over and over and over again so what i want i'll let you finish keisha but i want i want to know at what point does does it become redundant to just post this picture like would you as people in the black community would you guys rather someone post a picture and not do anything about it after or like just don't do anything at all because i saw someone post recently that if you're going to do fake activism don't do it at all right but to the other point of view like i i understand that and i get really enraged when i see that because i know for firsthand that half of these girls boyfriends say the n-word and they yep. they definitely they definitely cannot say the n-word but but I, what i want to know is like yeah if you're gonna do slacktivism or fake activism or whatever kind of activism in quotation marks you want to do don't do it at all but at the other hand it's like okay when they're posting it then other people are seeing it and then other people are right lear- like not learning but reading about it so at what point does it become redundant or will it or is it do i just let them go get away with it or should I be calling them out? I'm not going to say that social media is a bad outlet to use, like, to vocalize opinions of, like, issues like this, like, racial issues and stuff like that. Because obviously with, sorry, I forget his name as well. The Ahmed Aubrey? Yeah, right. Exactly. So um, with that one, it was like a national outcry, right? Yeah. And obviously media played a big role in that to like inform everyone on the issue right so like obviously people were aware of what was happening but again with what nor was saying is just like two clicks and then okay 24 hours it's gone right i think it's important to if you're going to at least post educate yourself on what you're posting about right for like for example the george floyd people uh, for george floyd case like there's been countless amount of people that I've called out on social media, obviously on Instagram and Snapchat, where I was like, do you even know the details of the case? Right. Like, do you know what happened? And they're just like, no. They just straight up told me they don't know. They're just posting it. I'm saying, okay, like, clearly this is just a bandwagon and it does not mean anything to you, mm-hmm. right? You're just trying to seem as if you're a good person. Like, oh, here I am supporting this cause. Boost your you own know, ego and get ex- away with it. Exactly. And I think also, I think just educating yourself on what you're posting about is very important and educating others. I mean, a lot of the times, and like, even I see people who are posting, who are posting like the, who are posting the Ahmed Arbery, um, like, in the, there's like um, pictures, like, just, you know, commemorating his life and everything, but then, the, and, and I feel like at that point, it's okay, whatever, you're, you're showing people, you're getting awareness of it, like, the way that I learned about this case was by someone posting it on Twitter, like, when it went on the day that it happened, and I was like, okay, and I learned, and I learned from that, you know what I mean? There's also people who I've seen just post the video of his death. Which is outrageous. Yeah. Hey, God. No context, um, no nothing. No, here, go to this GoFundMe, or this is what's happening. You're supposed to post this on this day and this day, or go support this page or support his family or send letters. It's literally just the video of a black man and his final moments of life with no context behind it. And the next post on this story is some, I don't know, some Some music. Funny, yeah, or it's, or like, it's like, or it's like some joke, funny, I don't know. Yeah. I think, funny hood bits. Can I just, like, like, okay, that that pisses me off when people post the video yeah because are you going to do the same if it was a white man getting kneeled on you would not be seeing that 
they would not they, be seeing that. Immediately they would say, stop posting the video, it's rude and disrespectful. Yeah, and it's the thing, it's this whole idea that their their lives, because when you get to the root cause of why people feel comfortable posting a black man being murdered, it's this idea that one person is, like, literally one person is just less. Like, because when, when, when people are shown, like, someone who's black, like, losing their lives, they just don't register as someone who had a life who had a family who had children who had brothers and sisters and people that will miss them it's this this idea that black people are worth are valued as less and therefore they're more well they're more disposable and that's why time after time after time when it comes even when it comes to the case of tamir rice who's like literally what 13 years old yes and you see and you see videos of him getting shot in the chest and you see it over and over again to the point where no one flinches at this point no one gasps or no one you know covers their eyes they literally watch it and take it in and sigh and go to the next case you know what i mean yeah and yeah. the people are becoming more desensitized to it but i definitely feel like um going back to the original point that people who are posting it or people who are posting just you know these cases and letting their you know letting their 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 boyfriends or whatever get off the hook for it um i think it's just generally just tell them do not post it because I feel like at this point, if they're not keeping the same energy within their circle, within their social circles, then it's not worth no it. Use of trying to, yeah. yeah, there's no use of trying to keep this image for social media. Like you care, like you, like you honestly care about the lives of someone who you're not. Because at the end of the day, you're posting just a picture of them or a drawing of them commemorating their lives, and then the next post is funny hood bits. Yeah. So, what? Something that's kind of piggybacking on this um, idea of, like, slacktivism and posting just for the sake of posting and boosting your own ego is that a couple months ago when I was writing, or maybe I think it was, like, a year ago when I was writing my EE on yeah. on charity and giving to the poor, um, I came across this article that had said, you know, there's something inherently racist about white folk going to third world countries building a well building a school and then not doing anything after and then posting pictures about it and that has sat in my brain and kind of marinated until now and then i just saw a tweet with the exact same meat and potatoes of the article and Mm. so what i kind of like i would can i just like say where i stand on that first and then kind of get your opinions yeah i truly i do find it kind of ironic that you have this white superiority complex that you can go into a country that your ancestors destroyed and then try and fix it or have the audacity to say that you fixed it when you don't fund it after you build a school that's my big issue with like funding for schools in in third world countries you build the school but then you don't give any resources you build the well but you don't give any clean water what it's just the four walls that are empty inside it's four walls that are empty inside I'll go into anecdotal. I had one friend. Her boyfriend says the N-word. Still to this day, I know for a fact. She went to, I think it was, I think it was Haiti. And she built a school and she said, and she posted a picture. And she was like, she's posted a couple pictures, came home and then didn't think anything of it after. And I was enraged. And once again, it's not, it's not, I'm not going to say it's not my place to be enraged. But that made me, I was so angry. And I- yeah, because I feel like I feel like what's most like a- angering about this thing is that people will go and they will not realize like will not realize what they've done because they go with good intentions of because they honestly and truly believe in all their in their hearts that they're helping like savage illiterate African kids when in reality 
these mission trips started as a result of spreading that, not with the results, not with like the hope of bettering society, like bettering humanity or the globe or helping people who are disadvantaged. It was it was done with the single mission of spreading Christianity. Yeah. And they saw that these like these African tribes, and they they assumed that because they are not like mono, I think it's monolithic because they don't follow a single like, God or yeah. because their religion is from theirs that. And in turn, because their entire culture is different from their from theirs, therefore it must be less than theirs. And so that's why they went over. And you you see these things where people go in with hope of you know spreading Christianity. And although they might have good intentions, because in their hearts they truly and honestly believe that people who are not pe- like especially African people are less than them, and therefore they're helping. They will go and they'll and in result they'll do more harm than good. You see the same things. You don't even have to travel abroad. You'll see the same things in Canada's history with the with the whole idea of residential schools. It's honestly the same exact thing, but it's being done today. It's this idea of you're going and you're and you're trying to spread Christianity. You're trying to better these. Um, you're implementing yourself to make things better. When why, who gave you that complex to make you think that you can make things better? Mm-hmm. And it's like it's so infuriating because. You can scream and shout all you want to them, but in their eyes, they are saviors. Um, like, there's so many things when you're talking about racism. It's not. It's like if, even if, if you, for example, if you pinpoint the the George Floyd case, you can't talk about it without talking about a similar hundred other cases that go back in history in Canadian American history. Mm-hmm. It's like it's not a singular event caused by just one man with a with a with um with well, a badge. harboring like hatred or something. It's literally just it's systemic and doesn't end. What I want to know is, like, where do you stand on people being, like, on people just now speaking out because of the last few cases that have happened in the several weeks and several months? Because this is an ongoing epidemic. The, there's no other word for it. It's an epidemic. Black people are literally losing their lives on the daily. No one's doing anything about it. It's an epidemic. But what do you guys feel about people just now speaking out and feeling almighty for speaking out when there has been outrage and cry for years with like the whole issue of like um discrimination against race systematically there's like so much things that like we're just only tapping the surface of even in this podcast yeah you know it goes so much deeper than just this one black man who lost his life right mm-hmm. there's like a whole history on it and i think people who are just now kind of realizing this I'm not going to say that they're fake or they're just like, again, slacktivism. They're just pretending like they care. But I'm just like, they're the ones who are never really aware of all the history behind it. You know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. So I think that's just kind of annoying when people just now start to realize what's happening. Yeah. Like, um, especially like, I know people who, who, um, who, who post like the who've posted like the past couple of cases um like regarding police brutality but whenever it comes to speak on actual black issues in real life not behind a screen in real life whether it be in school or in your community or, or even at work they're so quick to take on a neutral stance and be like oh i don't really want to take sides but then they'll be the first ones to post it whenever a new case happens and then like, I, I can point out so many examples okay. i'm like where was all this energy before because this is not the first time a case Again, yeah happened. not like i don't want to call people out as being fake or whatnot like i've i know so many people i'm not gonna call any names like for example there's this one person i know i feel as if she is very woke Mm -hmm. she knows about current issues whether that be political or racial you know she's very educated 
But when it comes to speaking out about these issues, for example, like a situation that always comes up in my brain whenever I talk about this is my law class. For some reason, it everything always end up becoming a racial discussion, right? And this person who seems to me as very woke because she is up to date and she believes that obviously there is systematic racism and stuff, she's not able to vocalize her opinions and tell those people that are who are either making fun of a specific cause or like just dehumanizing people right in a conversation she doesn't have anything to say yeah right so i'm like is that really can you really consider yourself an activist just by posting or stuff like that i'm like if you cannot if you don't have the guts and the backbone to speak on these issues whether it's in your inner circle or not just to people that you even to people you barely know because i like i strongly stand where i stand Mm -hmm. right and if anybody says anything not to feel like defensive i will say my piece i will talk my talk and i will say what i believe in right regardless of who you are so i think there's a line between people just posting and then and believing it and then just posting it for the sake of posting it okay so I I truly get and I understand what where both of you guys are coming from because like I I do. I I'm truly empathetic and sympathetic. But my question now is like there are people who I know who are they're trying to get educated on these topics, right? Cuz it's not something it's not something that they that it has affected them their entire life. So no so okay, fine. We'll give them that. Now they're not trying to not be ignorant. So they're trying to get educated. Um, and they clearly understand that, you know, this is a problem, this is an epidemic, and we need to stand for where Black Lives Matter. But they don't feel informed enough to be vocal about it. The most that they have the the understanding of is to make that post, do their reading after, and maybe if someone pushes them, then they'll talk about it. And so, do I count that person as someone who is committing slacktivism? I would say no, because I feel like like, the main difference you can tell is, like, um, when people who are, who take posting as the first step and not the final step. Because for, for a lot of people, like, especially, I know, like, a lot, a lot of kids in grade 9 and stuff, and, like, that follow me, and they're, like, they're posting this. And for a lot of them, that'll be the end of it, you know what I mean? They won't speak of it again, they won't hear of it again. Even when another similar case happens, which it's inevitable will happen, they'll post it again. But for a lot of people, it has to be the first step. And I feel like once, once you recognize in your mind that this is, that this is, like, the least amount of work you could possibly do towards this, like, this problem, and they recognize that, like, this, that posting something is the first step, gaining awareness is the first step, and takes, and take more steps to, you know, become more involved, become more educated, and learn other ways they can help, rather than just, you know, using their social media platform, whatever it may be. So, I feel like in the case of the people who are, who are honestly trying their best to become educated, I wouldn't call it slacktivism, because, you know, they're, they're, they recognize within their mind that, it's something that they need to work on and, you know, watch or try to spark, like, discussion on it. Okay. Right. I just feel the same way. I think Noor put in the best words possible. It's like, I actually, uh-huh. I, I root for those people. I'm just like, it is nice that you are educating yourself because that's really all you could do, right? Because I'm not going to sit here and say that, oh, I just know everything, right? Because obviously I do my reading, you know, I, I, life is about learning, right? So you're always going to learn. And I think people who are even just now starting to learn, I, I respect them. I have so much respect for them. I'm just like, 
it's good that you're willing to learn. I think that's always the first step. Right. You know, and I think also people who are not affected by it and them just starting to acknowledge their privilege because they're not directly affected by this, you know, is a good thing. And I think acknowledging your privilege is the best thing you could do. Right. Especially in, like, the climate that we live in, taking a stance on on, on racial discrimination is so polarizing because, like, for example, if if I take a stance on something, there'll be so much push towards it when really we're just, you know, telling the truth and saying how it is. And so... To be a person in today's society and taking an issue and taking a stance on black lives, the black on like just racial racism in general, and saying like, oh, it's not okay, it can really get you separated from a lot of people. It can really make you an outcast, even though you're just you know spitting facts and whatever. So one thing that I want to question is that a lot of the time, people say that the first step is to get educated and acknowledge your privilege. But like, what, what makes privilege? You know in society these days because white privilege is the fact that you can go through your life and being white will not be a barrier to success any other things may be barriers to success but being white is not the primary is not a barrier i feel like there's so many types of privilege in the world like literally they can be privileged even if you're black there's privilege based on the color of your skin on whether or not you're like you're mixed or like just colorism in general whether or not you're fit or healthy whether or not you're rich or not uh, like pretty like, privilege so many, all of those yeah there's so there's so much there's so many types of privilege that exist today that it's sort of like anyone like and there's like this one we had this one talk um, in school one time but it's basically just like this lady came in and she was like she told us to recognize the types of privilege that we had and even though you know i'm a black muslim woman i'm i, re- I realize that there is some privilege that i have and like like especially because we're living in that sort of a more developed country as canada so there's like there's different types of privilege that you can acknowledge and it's not hard but i feel like the, the moment people want to mention white privilege it's this idea that white people are getting some like unfair advantage that they just don't want to claim and to me white privilege is just um like a lot of the time white privilege is just the benefit of the doubt you know what i mean yeah there's some there's so many times that like white people if you, if you have like a white sounding name you'll get chosen more in resumes or if or if for example if you're um if you're if you're a white person you don't have to be scared when you're walking in the street or you don't have to worry about if your hood is up or not you don't have to worry about the type of hairstyle you have or not it's like there's so many things that come with it whenever you yeah because you know that whenever you come in contact with another person you'll immediately be given the benefit of the doubt regardless of the statistics that 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 showed like the majority of school shooters are white i don't i don't like if you walk into school you are not questioned you know what i mean yes it's like regardless of like the the majority of homegrown terrorists in the u.s are white you don't have to walk into an establishment and have people thinking that you're carrying a gun or your your intent is to harm them and that's the privilege that black people do not have because they have this ingrained idea that you're a threat to them or that you're just dishonest and all these negative stereotypes that are associated with black people that are immediately pressed to you whenever you come in contact with another person and that's even in the media like if you see the way like media portrays different people or especially this whole benefit of the doubt thing you know about that mom who tried to drown her kid and then blame it on two black men like People believed her until there was a video. So, for me, 
people like black people are automatically assumed guilty, like you know, it's the whole innocent until proven guilty. That that's a luxury that black people do not have. No, you can't you can't refute it because there's video evidence. Yes. Before people could say whatever they wanted, like literally for the Emmett Till case, like it's just a case that can't be about from like the Ahmed Arbor case. They're not they're not entirely similar, but like basically it's a case of this one black kid and he he or like back in like it's it's sort of like started the civil rights movement. Oh and yes, where he walked into the to the candy shop or to the yeah. convenience store. Right. Right. They made it seem like he whistled at the woman and then they killed him. They lynched him. Yeah. When in reality, yeah, the, this, all of his friends say that didn't happen. Yeah, yeah. I mean, especially because now, like, the almost entirely, the entirely, like, the almost exactly the same thing happened with the Ahmed Arbery case, where, and two white men were acute, were, uh, were, were, like, literally murdered him, but then made it seem, they literally used their word against his, you know what I mean? Yeah. In the case that they said he was robbing the store, and because there was no evidence to refute it at first, they got away with murder. And until there was video evidence, no one bothered to question it. Statement. For me, white, pri- what the way I view white privilege is not that white people I are directly benefited in like the sense that oh like if you are white you're guaranteed to be this this and this right I think that systematically they are benefited right so for example like our first topic about George Floyd it's only a matter of time between before the media starts to publicize every mistake that this man has made in his entire life and that has happened with every single uh black innocent black men who got their lives taken away by a police officer. But for example, if we look at school shooters, for example, Nicholas Cruz, who had shot 17 people, murdered 17 people at this high school, right? I forget the name of the high school. I think it's Stone something, not sure, right? But with him, like, media was so quick to jump on Oh look! Like his life was, he was a depressed loner. He, exactly, like, he, he was, but he meant well. He was getting bullied. This, this, that, and I'm, you know, and me just sitting here, and I'm just like, wow, like this is what white privilege is, right? Because they are humanizing this man who had just taken seventeen innocent lives, yet they are dehumanizing someone who is now dead for no reason, right? There was no reason for him getting murdered that right yeah so i think i think that's what people need to see when they acknowledge when they understand white privilege that's what white privilege is it's not in the sense that oh like you're economically more benefited right you're this and that this and that right yeah it's just it's just that your skin is not going to be the reason for your downfall exactly and you are going to be given i think i think saying that you're going to be given the benefit of the doubt is really is something is a a strong sentiment and i I do believe it and so now i just want to talk about what it means to be silently not racist versus actively anti-racist and why it's so important especially now more than ever because because the black lives matter movement in the last couple of weeks have really picked up momentum. I'm not saying it hasn't for the last couple of years, and I'm not saying that it hasn't been prevalent the last couple of years, or not last couple of years, four years. I'm saying that recently, I think there's been a lot of coverage and it's picked up momentum and it's picked up media coverage that now it is the, the time that you can't just sit at home and be like, yeah, I'm good because I'm not racist. I know I don't say the N word. I know that I don't try to do this thing. I don't, I know that I'm not actively trying to put another race down, but it's not enough anymore. Like it, it, 
you could get away with it before, but now I'm saying it's not enough. And I'm saying that you need to be out there on media platforms in the society saying that this is not okay. Well, yeah, I mean, like now there's there's this assumption, like especially especially with white people, there's this assumption that you're like it, not that it doesn't occur with other races, because like you know we talked about how racism is prevalent in literally every single culture. Yeah, but especially with this thing where you're automatically assumed to be not racist until you do otherwise. You know what I mean? Like for for me personally, like especially when I was like going to school and everything, it was it was an idea that I didn't assume anyone was racist until they gave me gave me reason to. Mm-hmm. And it, yeah, and it's so this idea that just sitting there, people will assume you're not racist, but that's not enough. You know, it shouldn't be the baseline that oh well, you're not racist. That shouldn't be the baseline for you know a good character and good judgment. It should be this idea that you're fighting for this fighting for racial uh, equality and fighting for uh, even though it's not your struggle you should be fighting for your brothers and sisters everyone is brothers and sisters in this world Mm -hmm. and so there should be you should be uh, just because you're sitting there and that's this is another it's just another like another episode of white privilege in the sense that they don't have to because they don't like struggle with it and so that's you can literally sit in your room be blissfully unaware during this pandemic and in the meanwhile people are literally getting shot with rubber bullets getting tased and getting maced for for protesting the death of someone you know what i mean yeah people like the president who are literally calling them thugs for protesting murder and so it's like literally this thing is you're assumed to be not racist until proven otherwise and this is the case with so many like social media stars lately who like everyone loves and you know just um loves and praises and everything until a video comes out of them saying the n-word and they're like oh well so sad it's this thing that you shouldn't that shouldn't be the baseline that shouldn't be just like you shouldn't just sit there knowing sitting with the fact that well i'm not racist and i don't do this it should be a fact that everyone is trying their best to unroot systematic racism what i want to can i ask you a question can i ask you a question in term like oh maybe i'll ask both of you this but to the whole idea of celebs saying slurs and then so i know there are celebs who say the f word like in the lgbtq community and then there are straight people that are like oh well they apologize and i accept the apology it's not your apology to accept you know mm-hmm. and so i think the same thing applies for any other slur that goes with real i think first of all that word is backed up with hundreds of years of oppression, right? Yeah. So it is not their word to say in the first place, mm-hmm. right? Like, if you are not direct, if you... And I'm not saying that, like, even with people nowadays, like, obviously, you know, people who use that word in the black community, they were not slaves in that sense, right? Yeah. But they're, But it's in their history, right? And they are affected by that word, whether it be, like, present time or from history right Mm -hmm. and i think that that word holds so much value to it and i think the black community reclaiming that word to use it as a way of saying like brother or like just like someone or just saying it like just saying it right is it's fine in the black community right but if you are not affected by that word and you don't you don't have to experience the effects of for example like of you know exactly people, people saying that that word doesn't affect people to this stage you can hear white people or other people yelling it at black people and right. it does affect them so another person that's not a part of the black community saying that word and then someone else and then the celebrity apologizing for it it's not right. someone else's apology to accept exactly that's what i was gonna say yeah like white another white person saying oh 
I accept his apology when it's another white person, like, saying it. I'm like, does your acceptance for the apology hold any value? No. I don't think so. No, because you are not the one that was, that is affected, that's actively affected by that issue, correct? I agree. So, I don't, like, I, I don't understand where that even comes from yeah like i just i just wanted to ask you guys about that just because i've been seeing a lot of debate on that and on twitter um and i just wanted to get like from my friend's point of view of where of how you stand and i i totally i don't know where people have Have feel like they have the like where do you feel as if you have the right to say that is the question okay so i want to say one more thing on this topic and then we'll switch to the next topic and then call it a day but so what i feel like from this point of view is like if you're not a part of the community and someone apologizes for saying a slur, you're not allowed to accept it. But I do encourage you to continue calling them out for it. I think calling them out and then accepting their apology is two different things. Yes. Right. But I'm saying, like, if you're not a part of the community, you should still call them out for it. But yeah, if you're not a part of the community, do not accept it. That is not your place. And I, I'm i just saying, like, do you think you guys agree with that? Um, yeah, I feel like I agree. Yeah. Okay. Since that, like, because for people to to right their wrongs, they need to be like called out, and they need to be like, like you know, put on blast in the sense that they need to see what they did was wrong. But apology, if any, it, it should be accepted from like from the from like from the people that that it hurt. You know what I mean? So, for example, if someone says the n word and you're white, you have no, you aren't hurt by that. You're not, you don't face that struggle on a daily basis, and you haven't been affected by that word the same people, the same way black people have been affected by that word. So it's not your place to accept it. And they're not like, apologizing to you. They're not apologizing about. to you. They're apologizing to the black community. Like you wouldn't, you wouldn't, someone wouldn't break your arm, and then if someone says, oh, it's okay that you broke. Layla's arm. It's not your apology to accept. Exactly. Yeah. So they broke your arm. Yeah. yeah. Okay. And so finally, I just kind of want to end it off like with your experiences as people of color in Canada, because I think, I think a lot of the times Canadians, especially Torontonians, because we live in such a diverse city, we tend to think that we're yeah the most diverse city in the world. We tend to think that oh racism doesn't happen here, or oh we are all good here. But it's truly not true. So I just kind of want to get, like, your opinions. Like, yes, I, Toronto is a lovely city. And we are doing better than a lot of cities. But we're also not the best. And I think we need to kind of break that stereotype of thinking that we're the best. I think that that statement that Canada is better than, for example, let's say um, the United States. It, it's, it enrages me because it's not true. For example, our our country alone was built on racism, oh, yeah. right? With colonization, with the British and French people coming here and just completely starting an entire war with Aboriginal people, right? And we, to this day, like totally disrespect people of Indigenous descent, right? My, my favorite saying is that we don't live in Canada. We're settlers on the Turtle Island. Right, 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 yeah. But, you know, it's not any better. I think in Canada, um, Aboriginal people are the most targeted minority group. There's also, you know, there's... We just don't know how to respect them at all. Like, the government, you know, with the whole Indigenous carding and then the Indian Act. Yes, and the missing murdered Indigenous women. Just women, yeah. I don't think that we are any better. Um, 
And I think that it's just more systematic and harder to see than it is in the United States. I think States. in the U.S. it's just right it's out it's out in the public and i think that's i think the fact that it's not out in the public in canada is worse i think it is worse because for example like something that i learned about let's say i think it was last year it was like this thing called carding right so Mm -hmm. where police officers were able to card anybody with no uh reason to stop them or anything where they ask for just basically their information like name number address stuff like that right and it was proven that black youth were targeted by this entire carding situation, right? And these people's names are never taken off the system. They are registered in the system and they are not taken off. So So now they're just forever a suspect. Yeah, they are their name is forever in the system when they had nothing no reason to be, no reason to be in the system. Right. So I think and also like a lot of people don't know about that. I didn't even know about that until I learned about it. Yeah. Right. And I think those are just examples of things where Canada is not like we're not doing our part. We're not. We're not. We're not. And like it's just harder to see how racist just the system is. Yeah. Right. So. So Noor, like what what is it like for you as a as 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 a person of color in Canada, in Toronto? I mean, like, like the, the community that I grew up in is, like, as you really diverse, and, you know, it's, like, it's all TCC community housing and everything, and so, like, growing up, there's literally, like, one white student in my graduating class, mm. and that was, like, a really big culture shock coming to Monarch and having, and, like, suddenly having to be the voice of all black people whenever teachers ask you a question and everything, Yeah, and so, like, it was so abrupt for me to see that. And because, like, for example, like, I, I grew up learning about a lot of black figures and, and Canadian history and everything. And then, go, and then going into um, and going into school and going into, like, the learning curriculum system and seeing that we're not, we're not being taught black Canadian history at all. Like, not even to the point, to the point where slavery is, it's, like, brushed to the side. It's because skimmed it wasn't over. The States. Yeah, it, it's literally, like, it's not covered at all. It was, I know, it's something that that was really, like, that I really was hurt by, because it was, like, I remember just, like, and sitting in, like, um, history class and having, um, and having, like, the only part of black history, like, that I learned was, it was, like, substitute work, it was, like, desk work for when a substitute was in class, and that was, like, the only part I got to, I got to learn about black Canadian history, and the thing is, it's omitted so much, mm-hmm. to the point where it's not even considered Canadian history, because that's like that's the course code, you know, Canadian history. But if you really want to learn about Black Canadian history, you have to literally you have to take another course. Class. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And so the, the separation, and everything, and even what Keisha was saying, like this whole idea of carding. I knew about it when I was really young because I, I like my brothers got carded a lot, like a lot, you know, especially living in like Region Park, they got carded so much to the point where I knew this was a thing when I was like eight. So it's um, it's like it's it's so. It's so subtle in ways that you you if you blink you'll miss it. It doesn't exist here. But in reality, like racism is such a prevalent issue in Canadian history, especially living in Toronto. You see it everywhere. Literally, if you look at news headlines, you'll be able to pinpoint exactly where it is. Like you see it so much in the case that there's so many cases where um, there was like recent not recently maybe a couple of years ago there was this death of uh, this kid in my in my community who was who was shot and killed in like a, in a really, like, really terrible situation. But like. It, he was shot and killed, and the picture that they used for his um, 
like you know on the news whenever they mentioned it it was his headshot it was his literally his mugshot mm-hmm. but in reality you don't see like you could you could see like headlines that say white man murdered four of his family drowned them in acid and the picture is him smiling in a campsite you know what i mean yeah and so in these subtle ways you can be able to pinpoint exactly how the canadian government feels about um feels about black people and like the black experience and it's so like troubling because you live with it every day and it's microaggressions. You can't even pinpoint, you know what I mean? Like I said, yeah. like, if you blink, you'll miss it. So you're left feeling this deep hurt and, like, this grief because you know you're being mistreated. But because we live in a place like Canada, they'll be like, oh, be grateful you're not living in America. You're right. I don't think that Canada is any better than America. Anyway, so with that, are there any last words that you guys want to say before I kind of wrap this up? Um... I feel like whenever you talk about racism, especially like when you're talking about um, racial discrimination and police brutality, it's so easy to get sucked into this thing of there's been like 114 um, unsolved cases of, you know, police brutality and everything. And I mean, like um, uncharged cases. It's so easy to get sucked into this, like it's sucked into this whole of cynicism and like, like grief because I, I was talking to my friend about this the other day is that you don't know when to resolve your grief because the second you turn around there's a new case you know what i mean we had the ahmed Abur cases and our hearts hurt so much for it and then a, few, a couple of days later there's another case of um george floyd and our hearts still hurt for it and i'm sure in a, in a case in a day or two there'll be another case and so it's important to not only focus on the negatives in this world but also focus on the positives and how you can make a difference because it's so easy to you know get lost in this idea of there's no hope left in the world yeah, I think I want to, like, end this off by saying, like, you know, the last couple weeks have been sensory overload. The last couple months have been sensory overload with what's been going on in the world, whether it's you know, the pandemic or the murder hornets or, you know, the innocent killings of, of black people or you know, anyone in general. There's been just so many horrible things going on that it, it's it's so, it's so much sensory overload. But I want to say... Truly, from the bottom of my heart, I think that we are good people and we only want to see the world do good. And if you try hard enough, we can make the world a better place through these micro things that we do every day. You know, wake up and smile, wake up and say hi to your neighbor, you know, try to raise awareness, but also understand that you're not going to be the make or break of a, of a case. Just try your best. You know, stay, stay focused, stay educated, stay positive. Yeah, that's kind of like, you know, just stay educated, stay positive and hashtag cancel 2020. <laughs> All right. So I just want to say thank you to both Keisha and Noor uh, for being on today's podcast. I know it was a heavy, t- uh, heavy topic, but you can tune in next week for a episode on Internet culture. So I just want to say thank you, Keisha. No problem. And thank you, Noor. You're welcome. All right. Have a good day, you guys. Bye.